It is essential to hear God in the noise and confusion of this time. Otherwise, you are sure to be deceived. Welcome to Current Affairs with Sam Solon as we explore the revelation of God in this season. We're resuming our discussion of the book of Revelation and we are in the 13th chapter. Now, one of the things that has been asked is, is there a time frame, uh, a timeline that might be applied to the events of the book of Revelation? And um, there's a clear sense of certain things happening before other things, but what is more the case is that the scene switches back and forth between several happenings at the same time. Two of the parallels are things happening in heaven, things being released in heaven, and their accompanying effects upon the earth. Sometimes they're uh, the accompanying events in heaven, but also uh, the, especially if we're talking about the, the release of things in heaven that are destined to affect the earth. So that's, those are two of the parallelisms of, of the book. There's also the matter of things that are released with the effect upon the people of God in the earth, the ones who are protected, the ones who are sealed and so on, and those who are not. There is also a, th a third set of things and that is how the things that uh, represent the work of the enemy are evolving and reaching their apogee so that eventually they may be judged. But in the meantime, these are, the, these are a secondary in the sense of uh, the things from heaven affecting things on the earth, but things that, that uh, uh, the, the work of the enemy is also affecting things on the earth and it's affecting all of humanity, although it's affecting those who are subject to the things of the enemy, the cosmos, the systems of the cosmos, uh, etc., uh, how those things are affecting those who are defenseless against these schemes and how they and what effect they're having against the people of God. So there are all these layers of things that, that can appear to be confusing if you're a casual reader of Revelation, of the book of Revelation. Now a secondary thing that I want to point out before we go any further is in the highly symbolic language of the book of Revelation, you will find astonishing references to Old Testament prophecies. And we'll, 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 center on one of, we'll center on several of these today or in these broadcasts that are being recorded today. Um, for example, the, the beast that is referred to uh, in the book of Revelation, the 13th chapter, is there's an identical reference in the book of Daniel, the 7th chapter. And uh, 
in, in, in another passage where it speaks of uh, whoever is to go into captivity, into captivity he will, uh, who will go, uh, that's also a reference from the Old Testament, from the 15th chapter of the book of Jeremiah. And there it has precise application to Israel at a particular time, and we'll unpack all of that as we go, particular time when it's about to go into Babylonian captivity. And so against the background of all of that, we have the spirit of Babylon and uh, uh, importing the importance of these Old Testament scriptures, which, are, which were true and applicable to those times, but long after those times are fulfilled, long after those direct applications to the condition primarily of Israel, but not exclusively, uh, after those have been fulfilled, here they are again in the book of Revelation with no possibility that they are designed to be fulfilled in an antecedent context, which means that they are meant to the prior things are meant to inform us and shed light upon how they are meant to be fulfilled in the future. So these are, these are some few keys of understanding and I will attempt to reference them as we go forward in this series of messages. Periodically in our journey through the book of Revelation, uh, I will stop and give you either uh, a summary of things that we've seen before or um, lay out understandings that will be helpful in the way that you are to view the book of Revelation. All right, now I have done um, some already on the 13th chapter, so I'm going to give a very light brush. Uh, my, my brush strokes here will be very light. Um, I will, I'll hit the high spots as we go through uh, up until about the fifth or sixth verses. Then we'll begin to drill down because that represents new territory. So he said, I stood on the sand of the sea and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads, heads a blasphemous name." All right, now you'll see the same thing in, Revelation, in Daniel 7. Uh, in his dream Daniel said he was uh, standing on the seashore and instead of one beast, four great beasts arose uh, out of the sea. Uh, let, me, let me point out that in the reference in the, to the word sea in the book of Revelation, in the 17th chapter it specifically speaks of how the, uh, the sea on which the woman resides are nations and peoples and, and, uh, and languages. So the concept of the sea as used here references 
people, people. Um, and so in, in our proceeding to understand the book of Revelation and proceeding to understand this particular symbol in Revelation 13.1, uh, the vision is of, and if, I, if you allow me to collapse uh, the book of Daniel, the seventh chapter, and the clear teachings, the clear interpretations that was, were given to Daniel, he was told, for example, the four great beasts are four kingdoms that will arise from the earth. So, the sea of humanity yields, in its particular references, it yields four great kingdoms. These beasts are no more and no less than kingdoms. As terrifying as they appear to be and in their predatory nature, it is the manner in which kings of antiquity and kings in general under the influence of the evil one, devise systems of rule which inevitably oppress people and they arise out of the sea of humanity. All right? No, these are very, these are the low-hanging fruit. You don't have to really reach for these. These are, these are ipso facto. They're plainly stated even in the even in the prophetic references. That's why I refer you to Daniel 7 for this understanding. And again, I have dealt in greater detail previously with these, so I am giving it the very lightest of touch. Now, verse, the following verse, verse 2, he said, Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet were like the feet of a bear and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. You will remember in, Daniel's, in Daniel 7 and in his recall of the four great beasts that came up out of the sea, he said one was like a bear or rather one was like a lion, the first was like a lion, the second was like a bear and the third was like a leopard and he gave greater details uh, with respect to each of these creatures. And again, I have dealt with these before, so I I referred to the earlier broadcast on this point. Now, you will point out, and aptly so, that John only sees one beast with seven heads and ten horns, whereas Daniel saw four beasts with seven heads but did not add the detail of ten horns. Uh, Excuse me, I'm sorry, Daniel said the beast had um, ten horns with ten crowns on its head but did not add the detail that it was seven heads upon which the ten horns were. So it is customary to think that in the reference of Daniel, all seven, all ten horns were on a single head. 
John, however, in the Revelation gives this additional detail that it has seven heads and ten horns and ten crowns on the heads. Um, They both refer to one of the heads or one of the horns having a mouth that spoke blasphemous things, but I'll come to that. How do we account for the difference in in the two narratives? Well, the key lies in the fact that John refers to uh, the one beast that resembled uh, a leopard uh, that had feet like a bear, had the mouth like a lion. But you'll also note that it's in the reverse order, that Daniel's vision was of the lion, that uh, uh, the lion came first, uh, the bear came second, the leopard came third, was the third to appear, and then the ter- a, a fourth beast with, uh, with the ten horns and, uh, that crushed and devoured its victims. It's very simple really. Daniel was looking prospectively into history and the first of the four kingdoms had not yet come and looking prospectively into into history, the first that would come of this type. You note that the fourth beast amalgamates the other three. In other words, in in the fourth beast, you see the prior three, but you see them in the reverse order and that tells you that whereas they're separated in Daniel uh, and they come in in a progressive order of the lion, the bear and the leopard and then the the beast with with ten horns, they, they had not yet appeared or they were about to begin to appear. But in John, he's looking uh, retrospectively, beginning with the the fourth and final beast that he saw coming up out of uh, of the sea, when he looks back, when he looks retrospectively, he observes that in the one beast that he sees is the amalgamation of the prior three in the reverse order. So he's looking back the nearest one to him would be of course uh, the, the, the leopard. The furthest from Daniel would be the, would be the leopard. The nearest to Daniel was uh, the lion. The furthest back from John is the lion. So it's the same beast, or it's the same four kingdoms amalgamated now into one. What should we learn from that? We should learn, and I'm I'm, I'm going ahead of myself here, um, but I'll nail it down for you with absolute certainty, that Satan, who is referred to as that ancient serpent, the devil Satan who leads the world astray, the ancient serpent we saw this from chapter 12, gave his power, his throne and great authority 
to this beast. Now what does that mean? It means that from the beginning, all of the activities of Satan, whenever they, whenever they were crystallized in the form of a kingdom, had the same spirit to it. All three prior kingdoms are predatory, which means that inasmuch as they are kingdoms arising out of the sea of mankind, their effect would be to de deny the liberty, deny the joy, deny righteousness, deny, de deny peace, and all of the rest of, of what you associate with the oppressive nature of the kingdom of darkness. And indeed the kingdom, the, these kingdoms would be the best indications of darkness, advancing progressively uh, through the history of mankind to reach their apogee in this uh, compounded form of a beast with seven heads and ten horns. So it's the same, it's the same exact thing, except that in the Old Testament it had its fulfillment in kingdoms such as uh, the Babylonian Empire, the empire of the Medes and the Persians, the empire of the Greeks, and the empire of the Romans. As preceding mega empires who, whose characteristics were consistent with what the fourth and final beast would be, a global kingdom, inasmuch as it is said that by Daniel, that it crushed and devoured, oppressed and trodden down the whole earth. Now the whole earth means the whole earth. No other prior kingdom had that level of hegemonic control over the nations of the earth. They were typically regional kingdoms, even the Roman Empire was a regional kingdom. It had spread as far, it had actually extended itself beyond the borders of the empire of Alexander the Great. Um, it, had, uh, it had controlled more of the world and it might be said that it controlled the known world at the time. But when these are prophetic scriptures and when God is speaking, He knows what the whole earth is. So when he speaks of provisional references, things that are designed to give us a sense of what, when, when the compendium of it is all wrapped up, what it would look like, he's using these prior examples to, to acquaint us with what we might expect when the fullness of the thing that is being referenced or hinted at in previous administrations finally arrives, alright? So he said that uh, this beast had uh, seven heads and ten horns. Now seven is a critical consideration, seven heads. That is of course the biblical number that implies complete, completeness. 
I have said before, and I, again I will lightly touch it here, the systems of the cosmos are the means by which Satan projects the power of his deception. And I've done extensive work on, and it's readily available on the website, uh, on the cosmos, what the scriptures mean when they say, do not love the world, which is a compendium of systems orderly arranged under the sway or rule of the cosmocrator, which is a synonym for Satan. And this has been in operation from the very beginning. Now at this point, I would like to remind you of the original prophecy, the original prophecy with which everything began, this whole conflict between the evil one and mankind and human beings. In the book of Genesis, in the book of Genesis chapter 3, you will find the following. And, and I'm laying this up here because it is so critically important for, as a framework for studying the book of Revelation, for studying the remaining chapters, especially, of, especially the remaining chapters of the book of Revelation. The original prophecy was this. After, this is Genesis chapter 3, and I want to center on verse 15 because that's the, the central piece of this original prophecy. The context is that of Adam and Eve being called to account by God after they had sinned. So God speaks to the man, the man has his answer. He speaks to the woman, she has her answer. And then He addresses the serpent. It, he doesn't give the serpent an opportunity to explain himself. It is as though he knows already what the serpent was up to. So God simply said to the serpent in Genesis 3.14, because you have done this, He didn't say, what have you done? He said that to the woman, He said that to the man, but to the serpent He said, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust, the word is opere, all the days of your life. And here's the first prophecy of Scripture and the one that involves the conflict between Satan and the sons of, of Adam and Eve. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Let's unpack that for a moment. So there was going to be enmity between the seed of the woman, 
Now, who is the seed of the woman? It's interesting that he doesn't say the seed of the man, but rather the offspring of the woman. Why? And it's interesting also that he speaks of the seed singular. The scriptures have made quite a matter of singular references relative to the seed versus plural. For example, in the book of uh, Hebrews, chapter 3, at about uh, verse, uh, excuse me, I'm sorry, uh, in the book of Galatians, chapter 3, at about verse 25 and following, he makes that distinction between seeds and seed, singular. So it's not some um, slay of hand reference. The seed of the woman is Christ. What is the seed of the serpent? Small snakes? No. The word here in the Hebrew is the offspring. So whatever has been created by the serpent, whatever has been created by the serpent. I don't have time to unpack only to refer to the fact that he said, the seed of the woman, a clear reference to Christ and I will point out that in this clear reference to Christ, he intends to include us. And the fact that it's the seed of the woman as opposed to the seed of the man, he's not a descendant of Adam in the flesh. He's the last Adam. He is the Son of God who comes through the woman and is not credited except in genealogical reference, is not credited as part of the original creation but a new creation. God Himself incarnate, coming in human form to to do battle as it were with the serpent. Now, the seed of the serpent, Here you will see um, in, if we go back just a bit to uh, chapter 12, here is an interesting reference. It says, War broke out in heaven, verse 7, Michael and his angels fought with the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought, but they could not prevail nor was there any place for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out. That serpent of old, who are we just reading about? The serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the world, he was cast out and his angels with him. Now, go to chapter 13 and here he says concerning uh, the the serpent, it says the, the dragon, namely the old serpent, gave his power, his throne and great authority to the beast. 
to this beast. So the offspring of the serpent, the offspring of the serpent is this kingdom of seven heads and ten horns. So it is destined to wage war against Christ and those who are in Christ. So we set it up and in the next message and messages we will proceed to deconstruct it further. I'll talk to you then. I'm Sam Solon. See you then. Bye-bye. Thank you.